Welcome to Village Cinemas. That's where you find yourself in Cinema 10, actually. For this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. You'll see. Things are quite different here. The house with a clock in its walls. It's a Harry Potter for the modern age, starring Jack Black and our Kate Blanchett. I want an Australian girl. An Australian? An Australian. Magda, there is someone. She's no style. Perfect. Gosh, you've not seen Australian film for ages, and now they're everywhere. And Ladies in Black stars Shane Jacobson and Noni Hazelhurst. Hey, everyone! I saw a monster! What if Bigfoot went back to his town of Big Feet and told everyone, I've spotted a human! That's Smallfoot. You're looking particularly beautiful tonight. Rowan Atkinson is back as the opposite of James Bond in Johnny English Strikes Again. That's all coming up. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. My name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Vary McIntyre and Michael Campbell both have. And if you keep listening, you will not only hear us get all judgy on those flicks, but also give you the opportunity to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass. That's later. First up... Have a look around. You're perfectly safe. As long as it's fed. Harry Potter was a global phenomenon that I wonder, with the advent of technology, maybe could be the last of its kind. Lines of kids around the block for a book. Obviously, the studios were chomping at the bit to make them into movies. Well, here we have a film adaption of a book I've never heard of, but it's got an incredible cast. So what sort of magic should we expect from T-H-W-A-C-I-I-W? Yeah, the house with a clock in its walls. That is quite a title. Well, see, I was like you, I hadn't heard of it either. Uh, So I went in, I guess, fresh, which is probably, I think, the best way to go into it. So this movie is about uh, young Lewis, and he's just been orphaned, and then he's sent to live with his eccentric uncle, slash warlock, who is Jack Black, who's a guy called Jonathan. Uh, But he couldn't have come at a worse time because Jonathan's dealing with this menacing clock in the walls that's ticking down, and when it ticks down to zero, who knows what's going to happen. Is it very Harry Potter? Is it like magic? Is that the sort of thing you can expect, Barry? Yeah, I really felt that when I was watching it. And there's also this theme of this gothic supernatural thriller that carries throughout. So the uncle lives in this big mansion behind these big iron gates and everything's a little bit creepy and he's got walls covered with really old spell books and things like that. So it's got this feel of this old world and you just get drawn into it straight away. And there was a lot of cool, like, kind of set design elements I thought were kind of interesting. In fact, his house is just full of clocks because he's so getting driven mad by the sound of this clock ticking down (laughs) that he tries to drown it out with other clocks everywhere and the the furniture is kind of alive and they almost act like pets. And there's all kinds of voodoo and and old witchcraft all throughout the house. Uh, Even his next-door neighbour, Mrs Zimmerman, who's Kate Blanchett, their back and forth is quite funny. They're like an old bickering couple. He'll insult her, she'll insult him, but you can kind of tell deep down that they're they're friends and they they love each other. You're Lewis, I presume. How was your trip? This old hag is my neighbour. I'm relieved to see you didn't inherit your uncle's freakishly oversized head. My God, did that withered purple skeleton just speak? You'll see, it's quite different here. How is Kate Vario? Because she sort of does these characters every now and then where she like does this massive kids sort of character, you know? Like she does her yeah. blue jasmine sort of thing, but then she does these these big, weird, 
She wears glasses. Essentially, the <laughs> yeah. film's where she's wearing glasses. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I see it. Yeah, she gets into like this caricature yeah. of a good? person. Uh, yeah, I think she does a really good job. It is interesting to see her as an actor who's, you know, just done something like Ocean's 8. It's interesting to see like the last few years because Kate Blanchett's always been a very dramatic actress. She just mm. seems to be having fun now. Yeah. Ocean's 8, Thor, House with the Clock in Its Walls. It's just <laughs> all these films that aren't very like quote-unquote Kate Blanchett-y. Yeah. And she looks like she's having an awesome time. So I feel good watching it. Yeah. I guess she's done the whole Oscar thing now. Yeah. She can do whatever she she's wants. She's got one of those. She does yeah. what she wants now. Talking of all the clocks, obviously it's in the title and the house is full of them. The director, Eli Roth, also admitted in an interview that he really likes clocks and he has a collection at home. And so when he came across his script, he's like, oh, it's me. I have to do this. <laughs> Speaking of which, Eli Roth is a name that you wouldn't necessarily associate with a kid's film. Sounds like a horror. His big break was Cabin Fever about 15 years ago, and then yeah. the Hostel movies with yeah. Eli Roth. This is so unlike Eli Roth. He doesn't carry that horror through to this? There's no elements of that? Not as an adult. No, as a kid, yeah, it's it would be a little bit spooky, but Eli Roth isn't so much horror as in like graphic violent horror normally, but then... As soon as the movie starts, there's an Amblin logo, which for those who don't know, that's Steven Spielberg's company. You can see the influence of that big time on the way he's directed this movie. It's very whimsical. That's a lot of clocks. Well, what constitutes a lot is really a matter of personal taste. For me, it's a perfect amount of clocks. Oh, sorry, there's a deranged cuckoo in there. What I did think that he brought to the table was his use of Dutch angles. Which, yeah, if you don't know what that is, it's a type of cinematography where the camera is uh, set on an angle, so it's the screen is tilted. So when you're watching something, it's not straight on. It's a bit to the side, like you have to tilt your head to look at it. And this is traditionally used in horror films, and it's to create this sense of uneasiness mm. and tension. And I really did notice that because you don't see that, especially in kids' films. And so I think he drew on that experience from horror films. I know a weird thing about this. So the Dutch angle kind of got a really bad reputation after Batman and Robin, uh, the <laughs> yeah, Joel Schumacher, yeah. George Clooney Batman, because that movie was so heavily totally. relying on Dutch angles that for about 10 years yeah. afterwards, mm-hmm. they've now slowly come back into, into fashion, but they were like poison for a while where no film would do it because they didn't want to be compared to Batman and Robin. But you're right, it, it makes it feel kind of... Um, like old-fashioned, you know, this reminded me of Gremlins a little bit, right. where you wouldn't want to be too young because it's a little bit spooky. But if I was like 10 years old, this would be right up my alley. You know, it's it's just scary enough to scare your kids without leaving them with nightmares. I was thinking, and I know that this is going to get a lot of Harry Potter references, of course, but there's something about the magic in Harry Potter where there's a logic to it. The magic doesn't come out of nowhere. There's a logic to the universe, if you know what I mean. And a lot of these films don't do that. They're just like, mm, magic for the sake of magic. Oh, look what we can do. And it, I don't know, does it, does it, which camp does it fall it, into? It reminded me actually bizarrely of Doctor Strange. Right. In which they just kind of said, anyone can do it. And yeah. If you think hard enough, you can do it too. Obviously the character of Lewis is supposed to be a surrogate for the kids. Yeah you'd want your kid to think, oh, maybe I could be magic too. So I get why they've done it, but no, yeah, Harry Potter's a lot more fleshed out, I would say. 
One thing I do like about magic films is the special effects. I look forward to seeing how they, you know, make the magic actually happen. Is it cool? Do you like watch it go, oh, I wish I could do that? That's one of the draw cards for these movies, isn't it? And there's this, uh, I guess it's a character. It's a couch in it's the couch. movie that comes alive. And I've, I've watched got it. this role. It's just come in. You're going to play a couch. Okay. It's kind of like their dog, I guess. This little, this little chair couch that moves around. But I've been watching some behind the scenes and I didn't realize that it's a complete puppet. This whole couch they made is like a, they have all these like green bars coming from it and they completely animated, really? uh, so not animated, they completely puppeteered yeah, this right. chair in the scene, which is so much more effort than you think they would go to. But I think <laughs> yeah. it really helped. Like it, I never questioned it in the movie. You know, sometimes it takes you out when you're like, that's not there. Yeah. It never had that feeling. And some of the effects, the puppets and stuff are all very practical, which I thought was kind of a cool, yeah. cool throwback. It very ambulant as well. Yeah, very ambulant, of course, yeah. Yeah, and to get so much emotion out of the couch. <laughs> Don't we have to have dinner before I'm allowed to have cookies? Well, why not just eat cookies for dinner? They're far more delicious. I know, it's just we have these house rules. Well, not in this house. There's no bedtime, bath time, or meal time. You can eat cookies till you throw up for all I care. You'll see. Things are quite different here. Jack Black, obviously, the other big lead in this film. How's he? Jack Black, I think, kind of goes on a spectrum of being like full Jack Black to being subdued Jack Black. And he's kind of towards the they full are Jack two Black. two modes, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of towards the full Jack Black in this. You know, it's like the full skadoosh, that kind of, you know, yeah. Jack Blackisms. Yeah, like his rolling goosebumps. He's that sort of character again. And again, like a spooky kids film. Yeah. If you thought goosebumps was appropriate for your kids, then. This is a very similar kind of ilk. Barry, is it a film that I could see given I don't have kids or is it really a family picture? Look, I think it goes both ways as well because it is a family fun film. There's not a lot of things that are going to offend a lot of people and I really enjoyed it. And I have known a couple of people because Kyle McLaughlin is in this who's obviously from Twin Peaks. There's been a few Twin Peaks fans have asked me, oh, he's in it. It's kind of supernatural and weird. He's not in it much. I just want to, in case you're a Twin Peaks fan thinking of seeing it, he's in it for maybe 10 minutes altogether because he's in the trailer quite a bit. I thought it's important to know if you're a big Twin Peaks fan thinking this is going to be like another Twin Peaks, not quite. (laughs) If you thought this was going to be another Twin Peaks. like Twin Peaks for kids. (laughs) Yeah. So who should see this film? If you've enjoyed any of the stories and films that we mentioned before, like Harry Potter and Goosebumps, this one is the same vein. It's got that supernatural gothic thriller aspect to it. That also reminded me a little of a series of unfortunate events. So if you like that show, oh, yeah. a little bit yeah, that Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, mm. and, and this is an Amberlin movie, so they obviously make movies like Gremlins and E.T. And, and it's got that kind of whimsy to it as well. So if that's the kind of movie you're after and your kids are a little older, maybe older than, I don't know, eight maybe, this is a nice family movie that you're going to be entertained with, but your kids are also going to mm. like. And Kate Blanchett films. And Kate Blanchett films. Yeah, if you're a big fan of Blue Jasmine. Yeah. <laughs> Good afternoon, ladies. You must be the new jeune fille. Some help I can use during this season. Who's that? Magda, one of them refos. Refugees. Migrants. Australian films should sort out the release schedule. Hey, so they're not all out at once. (laughs) (laughs) Because we had the flip side and the merger and now Ladies in Black. This one is set in the 50s and stars some absolute darlings. Australian stage and screen. So what's it about? This one is a comedy drama about the lives of a group of women who work in this prestigious department store in Sydney in 59. And there's a core theme about this coming-of-age story for a schoolgirl called Lisa who is introduced to a colourful new life upon meeting these ladies in black. It's it's one of those... uh... 
it, rem- it had elements of, you know, the intertwining stories. Love Actually, I guess, comes to mind or the book club we talked about a couple of weeks ago where they're separate little stories that are all kind of funneled through goods, which is the department store that they work at and how that one connection kind of branches off into all these things. Well, okay, like it's I didn't such- pick that up from the trailer at all. Yeah. No, neither did I. I didn't know that going in. But what a beautiful looking film. Like they've recreated like 1959 Sydney so beautifully and perfectly. That's the first thing I thought as soon as it started is like, wow, this looks amazing. Like these sweeping shots, trolley cars, all kinds of stuff. We love 1950s Australia, don't we? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like, oh yeah, (laughs) when Australia was great. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's actually a backdrop to this movie as well, because even though, you know, it focuses on about four or five of these women who work in this department store, because it's set in 1959, there's this theme of Australia's cultural awakening with this new influx of European migrants, or refos, as some of the characters refer to them, and this mix of class structure and the liberation of women. So Lisa, who's the youngest one, she's just finished school and she's waiting for her exam results. So she gets a summertime job working here. Do they touch on the reality of the 1950s in Australia? Are they part of the themes, the sexism, the racism that was prevalent? They they do, but in a very uh, delicate, you know, it's... Mm. It's never too realistic, I suppose. It's a it's a Rose comment. It's, glasses, yeah, exactly. It's a comment here or a, a comment there. The term "refos" is probably about as good racial. to see that survive till yeah. today, isn't it? <laughs> Fantastic. But that's sixty a, years on, here we go. That's about as grotesque as the racial slurs go. When you right. could imagine, it was probably far worse. Yeah, the cast obviously it's got its big leads, but the whole cast has got I mean, Ryan Core, I think is in yeah. it, who's all yeah. over Australian TV. There's also Rachel Taylor yeah. from Pack to the Rafters, Angori Rice, Shane Jacobson, Noni Hazelhurst, all these Australian actors that you just know and love. All of them are in here. And you actually spoke to Shane Jacobson. Yeah, that's right. I just asked him, because this is directed by Bruce Beresford, and I mean... What a legend of Australian film. Uh, Most famously, Driving Miss Daisy, he Mm. directed all the way to winning Best Picture, Break Around. He is like the Spielberg of Australian cinema. So I I just had to ask what it was like working with him. I've been a fan, an adoring fan of Bruce's work, uh, well, forever. I mean, anyone that's involved in film, it's a bit like saying, so you're a Christian, did you want to meet Jesus? (laughs) Look, the first thing I've got to say is I was a little overwhelmed meeting him. It was... You know, America has Spielberg and we've got Bruce Beresford, you yeah. know, and on set with Bruce when he directs, he's so calm and that permeates through the shoot. That's the thing about Bruce's directing style with me. I felt like I was it was a collaborative process, but I know Bruce knows exactly what he wants. <laughs> There's a gift, I think, in being able to guide people um, without them feeling like they're being shoved. And, he, you know, Bruce knows exactly what he wants. You know, he's one of the only guys. I, I did this. We did, one, we did one scene where we did one take and he said, we're moving on. I've never had wow. that. It was, you know, when he says we're moving on, there's an amazing amount of confidence you get when you're being told by Bruce Beresford that he's happy with the take. It's not like you feel like you've got to go, are you sure? Because that would almost be disrespectful. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. This came for you. Oh, Dad will have to sign this. Dad, I need you to sign this form. Look, I've told you before, no daughter of mine is going to university. We'll think of something. There's something I've always wondered about period films, and I thought you might be able to help me out here. Whenever I'm watching it, I always wonder... How detailed does the set go? Is it the kind of set that is just absolutely detailed left to right? Or is it the kind of thing where if you were to move the camera like a centimetre to the left, does it break the illusion? The house they picked was perfect. It was a time capsule, to be honest. But no, the, the art department do 
an incredible job. No, you could pan the camera left and right yeah. and, you'd st- and you'd still be um, stuck in that era because it is, they're incredible. Of the thousand things I love about doing movies, um, it's when you go onto a set like that and you are transported. So, um, you know, when we're all young kids and we're doing low-budget um, jobs, yeah, you, you would have just one room and you put a bit of curtain in the back and have one old cup, you know, hey, one old cup of sauce. <laughs> yeah, don't pan left or right. Don't tilt up, you'll see a modern light. Don't pan off, you'll see that we're actually in my, you know, uncle's modern land or whatever <laughs> the case may be. Again, that's the joy of filmmaking is that people come in and, and, you know, and take you back to a time, you know. When we're sitting there and the clothes we're wearing and the, the watch I had on, the paper in front of me and all that stuff was, you know, even the paper I was reading was of that era, you know. Wow. So, you know, you are in, you're in the, the mid to late 50s. Everybody loves Shane Jacobs. And how, how is he in this film? He's not one of the the main ladies in black. It may surprise you. Uh, he plays Lisa's father, and it's, it's. I'd love to see that film though. A sort of hairspray. Yeah, that's true. Like a Travolta role. Yeah. He plays a, a far more reserved character than you. Yeah, he's normally like the Aussie battler, you know, the yeah. little larrikin. But he's quite reserved and conservative, and it was kind of interesting seeing him show a little bit more range like that. So who should see this film? I feel like I was maybe a little too young. I think this would be a real like nostalgia. Yeah. Well, trip. you're 18, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> soon, no, I'll be 18 soon. Uh, this is like a real nostalgia trip. I can imagine my grandparents, particularly, seeing Australia. You know, they're all dressed up in their suits and their nice dresses. That's interesting though, because my grandma doesn't watch Mad Men because she's like, I was, I lived it. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> like, <laughs> why would I want to go back over all of that again? It is that nostalgia aspect and like seeing something different and that got relevant themes still of migrants and and women's lib and did you know it was actually made into a musical in 2015 i really? did not know that yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a book in the 90s and then a musical for a couple of years yeah so if you enjoyed the book which was called the women in black or the musical another chapter in the series i saw it a mythical creature i had only heard existed in legend Small foot. Oh my gosh, it's a small foot. Come back. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. No, I did. No, I saw it. It doesn't exist. Can't this ridiculous story and tell the truth? I am telling the truth. This looks fantastic. I hope it follows through. There's so many kids' animations out these days that you actually have choice. You know, you don't have to just rock up to the only holiday film on the screens that has a big green G in a triangle slapped on the corner of the poster. And I think small foot would have my vote if I had kids. It's a super funny concept and it seems like it has the cast to back it up. Does it? Yeah. It's a really funny movie. There's a group of yetis and they live above this enormous mountain and they live in kind of solitude. But there's urban legends of a small foot or a human. One day, Channing Tatum's character, Migo, runs into a small foot. Of course, no one believes him. He's a bit ostracized. So he decides he's going to go and he's going to find a small foot. (laughs) Who else is in this film? Because the cast is great. The cast is huge. So we've got Zendaya, Channing Tatum, Danny DeVito, James Corden, LeBron James, Common, the rapper. LeBron James is in the basketball. Yes. (laughs) Why? Who knows? Common, the rapper. (laughs) Danny DeVito, we all know. know. James Corden from The Late Late Show. And and every other kid's film that's been out in like the last two years. (laughs) And Zendaya, the teen singer. Yeah, I think we mentioned a couple of episodes ago, she just kind of suddenly appeared and then bam, she was in everything. She was in Spider-Man, she was in The Greatest Showman. But she's like a fantastic singer. I think she's yeah. like a Disney Channel kid. Yeah, so even though this cast is huge and they all do really great jobs, I don't even think you need to sell it on that fact. It's genuinely funny. They've, it's a really good film. It's a film. funny concept. 
it the is idea really good. of the big feet finding or trying to convince everyone that there's a small foot. And yeah. th- it's got some pretty solid credentials behind it. So it was produced by the partnership Lord and Miller, who directed an unspecified amount of solo. Oh, the Star Wars when Ron Howard took yes, over yeah, and yeah, there was yeah. a whole debacle about sacking the director. Exactly. That, but right. before that, uh, 21 and 22 Jump Street, which yeah. are, also uh, with Channing Tatum. Also with Channing Tatum. Which got them the gig on Star Wars. Got them the gig got on Star Wars. From. And uh, then got Channing Tatum this job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Lego movie they directed, oh, Clyde wow. with a Chance of Meatballs they directed. So, so is that the style of if you're thinking like, is this a Toy Story or is this like a Humor-wise, definitely. It's got that kind of irreverent, poking fun at itself kind of humor that that Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs and the Lego movie both had. Welcome to the SES. Stands for Smallfoot Exists, suckers. We have been collecting proof of the Smallfoot's existence. Behold, the scroll of invisible wisdom. This proves nothing. The theme of this movie was kind of more complex than I was expecting. It's all about questioning what you're told, stay true to what you know and the facts and don't worry about what other people are believing. And for a kid's film, much Mm. like the Lego movie had a kind of a heavy theme to it as well, disguised in the kid's film, it was far more in-depth than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, that's a message I could probably take on in my life. (laughs) (laughs) There's this really cool song. uh, So Common plays the tribe leader and he does this like real rap song explaining all this stuff. So it's easier to understand because it's in rhyme. Kids like rap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just some really powerful stuff but in such a kid-friendly way. And I appreciated that it wasn't just like everyone be friends is the theme. It had a proper theme to it like a movie should. So speaking of songs as well, Niall Horan, who was from One Direction. One D. One D. (laughs) Has released a single for the soundtrack called Finally Free. So there's some really big names on the soundtrack as well and we did mention there's only a few songs but Mm. they're really good. So it's going to be like a Frozen Every kid's going to be singing it for the rest of our lives sort of thing. There, there was a song. Am I going to hate this film in five years' time? <laughs> Specifically, and this is the thing with musicals then, and once you notice it, it's hard to unnotice it, but the second song in any musical is called an I Want song. And they talk about, well, you know, Let It Be or whatever. And there is an I Want song, the second song. Let It song. Go, Let It Be, of course, <laughs> very popular Yeah, Beatles. by the Beatles. <laughs> uh, let It Go from Frozen. So who should see this film? If you want to see a kid's film that's going to entertain you and your kid, I think this is definitely the funniest. Literally everyone should see this. I don't know anyone who's not going to enjoy it. It's funny. It's a great story. The characters are great. I just, I really loved it. Unless you've got a cold, dead heart. Also in cinemas this week, The Predator is back on Earth. The Hunt is on. Christopher Robin is back in Hundred Acre Wood. Oh, little Winnie the Pooh. And a simple favour is spine-tinglingly thrilling. That's my back reference for that one. Yeah, that one That one will keep you guessing. You thought I did that because you got Predator back on Earth, Christopher Robin back in 100 Acre Wood, and a simple favour spine-tinglingly good. Anyway, some of these are just for myself. <laughs> you can hear about all those by clicking on the previous episode in whatever podcast app you're in right now. And we have a Village Cinema's Gold Class double pass to give away in a moment. But first, Johnny English. Tell me the agent you've got in the field is making some progress. Target acquired. This is a job for the shoebox inflator. Don't open it in the car! Can you reach your door handle? Most people just know him as Mr Bean, but Rowan Atkinson has the comedy chops to make him... I think it's probably safe to say, England's funniest export. If not, then he's close behind. You've got Not the Nine O'Clock News in, the, I think it was the early 80s, very funny Blackadder, of course, which is all over ABC comedy, and even his turn as an incredibly slow Christmas rapper for Alan Rickman in Love Actually was hilarious. But, of course, Bean leads the charge, and it worked time and time again with movies and series and all that. And this is the third Johnny English film, so they'll be hoping that this also works time and time again. What's it about? Johnny English has 
been retired for a while and he's now a school teacher, but he's called out of his spy retirement when a cyber attack reveals the identity of all the active undercover agents in Britain. And of course, Johnny English is the only one who can find this hacker. This sort of feels like a common spy film for actual spy films where all the spies have been uncovered. Yep, that's the point, I think. Yeah, right. (laughs) It is definitely tongue-in-cheek of all the James Bond movies and all those serious ones, even like Mission Impossible, but in that British style of humour. Something about old-school British humour that I really relate to. Especially, I grew up on Blackadder, so I love seeing a different side of Rowan Atkinson that's not just always Mr Bean. Because as funny as Mr. Bean is, and it's a classic, he's got so much kind of comedic range to him. So it's so nice to see him flex it as well. And I think this is a movie that could only really be made in England because there's a pretty significant difference between like an American comedy and an English comedy. So Stephen Fry said it best, uh, the difference between English and uh, American comedy. American comedian is like a Jerry Seinfeld. You know, he's always got a one-liner. He's a cool guy. He's got like a huge ego. Everyone loves him. BDE. Everyone's talking about BDE lately. (laughs) He's got a lot of BDE. The example he gives is in Animal House, John Belushi on the stairs. There's a little folk singer playing his song, and John Belushi gets a guitar, smashes it against the wall, and everyone laughs. And Stephen Fry says the difference is in an English comedy, the main star would be the guy playing the guitar. Mm. They always want to be the put-upon guy that's not cool enough and doesn't quite get it right. And Johnny English is like the epitome of that. He's a spy, but he's the spy that gets everything wrong and he's so put upon and he can't get anything right. Whereas if it was American, I think it would be more of like a traditional James Bond. Virtual reality. It's completely immersive and some people lose track of their actual surroundings. I think we can pretty much guarantee that's not going to happen. We've seen the original Johnny Englishes. Haven't been able to see this one yet. Do we think it'll stand up for a third film? I think the, the fact that it's a spy franchise, they kind of lend themselves to just coming back whenever. Uh, Mission Impossible's done it time and time again. James Bond's done it time and time again. The genre just lends itself to not needing to be updated all the time, if that makes sense. And this is the first trilogy that Rowan Atkins has ever done. And he's a man that once in a blue moon will come out and do something. So the fact that he wanted to do it means there must be something in it. Yeah, I've heard he's said that he really likes this character and he really wants to play it. And he does resent the fact that in the arts community and the film community that comedy isn't taken as seriously. Obviously for someone who's dedicated his entire life to comedy and comedy films. Is there any credits in this film other than Rowan that we should, Rowan, I'm on first name basis, (laughs) that we should uh, know about? Is there like directors or cast members? So the director, a guy called David Kerr, doesn't have anything huge on the board, but he did something that I really love, something that I grew up on. Uh, in the early to mid-2000s, he directed a series called The Mitchell and Webb Look, which is like a really seminal yeah. British uh, sketch series that was always like super well-directed. And he has now come on board as the director of this. So for me, I'm like, hell yeah. Emma Thompson is in this installment oh. as well. And I love her. She's a great British actress. She's done Nanny McPhee. She was in Love Actually as well, we talked about. All those people are from the Cambridge Footlights, by the way. They are, yeah, They've yeah. They've all been What's through that, that system. The, uh, university comedy group. Yeah, they do uh, like reviews every year. Monty Adam Python, Monty Python uh, Rowan Atkinson, Stephen Fry and Fry, Laurie. Laurie yeah. um, all the in-betweeners, pretty much Mitchell and Webb. It's yeah. like a who's who of British comedy. So who should see this film? I mean, I think it's pretty simple if you're a Rowan Atkinson fan or just a British comedy fan. There's nothing quite at his level, is there? Yeah, it's a particular brand of English humour. So if you love that, if you've loved the first two films, if you just want something funny, irreverent, nothing too serious, it's going to be a good romp, I think. 
for your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, go to Facebook or Instagram and leave a comment on the Cinema Crew post answering the question. Yes, obviously, Houses with the Clock in its Walls, Ladies in Black and Smallfoot are all based on books. So we want to know if you could have any book turn into a film, what would it be? What adaption do you want? We'll leave your answer with the hashtag The Cinema Crew on those posts and you're in the running. Next week, Kevin Hart is off to night school in a film called Night School. Wonder what that's about. <laughs> and we wind the clock back right back for Alpha. Discover how wolves became dogs. And if you liked milk or goodwill hunting, maybe this is for you because the director of those is back in a Joaquin Phoenix film. Don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Barry. Cheers. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and we'll see you, or at least you'll hear us, next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.